Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Guys, it's Nehesha Campbell with the again. I'm going to talk about a very hot topic, very important topic, vegetarianism and veganism. You're probably all aware of the fact that there is a movement around the world for this lifestyle, for a plant-based lifestyle. For the first time in centuries, all the major capital cities in Europe and in America now have vegetarian and vegan cafes and restaurants, and there are demonstrations for this lifestyle, and there is a lot of, a huge amount of uh, misinformation going around about this lifestyle. And of course, that reflects in what kind of patients I see in my clinic and many other doctors and many other practitioners see in, my, in their clinic. I see youngsters, young girls and boys with anorexia nervosa, with bipolar disorder, with depression, with schizophrenia, with rheumatoid arthritis, with chronic fatigue, with fibromyalgia, developed because of misguided vegetarianism. Majority of these kids were perfectly healthy children before they decided to become vegetarians. And because of all this propaganda in the world and because our mainstream authorities are silent on this subject, and not only silent, but many dietetic associations actually supported and promoted as a healthy lifestyle around the world, many parents in our world believe that if their child decided to become a vegetarian, they must support it. It is possible to be a healthy vegetarian but you have to know what you're doing. Because it's very easy to get into trouble, to run out of nutrients, and to undermine your most fundamental metabolic balances in the body, and to get into trouble. And of course, these youngsters don't do any study. They just cut out meat because they've heard something, or some friend decided to do that, or they've seen a film about how industrial agriculture treats animals, which is appalling. It's very, very cruel. And in many cases, that's what puts them off eating meat. Stopping to eat meat is not the right thing to do. It's not the right way to fight that system. But that's what these youngsters are compelled to do. And they start living, of course, on pasta and cheese, and biscuits and cakes, and breakfast cereals, processed carbohydrates. And what's the next, next thing happens? Processed carbohydrates are the cause of our obesity epidemic, the breakfast cereals the bread, the sandwiches, the pasta, the sugar, the cakes, the biscuits. That's what causes obesity epidemic, because it causes too much insulin in the blood, and insulin is a master fat storage hormone. If you've got too much insulin in your blood, you'll be storing everything as fat. A piece of lettuce in your body will distort this fat straight into your thighs. <laughs> a little salad, the cucumber will distort this fat in your body, as long as you have high levels of insulin. How do these youngsters finish up with high levels of insulin? Because they're eating wheat, 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 sugar, 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 all day long. These things are pre-digested for us in our big factories by the food industry. They require virtually no digestion. 
They absorb as a glucose. All carbohydrates absorb as molecules of glucose and other monosugars. And they dump a huge amount of glucose into the bloodstream. A syrup, a huge injection of syrup after breakfast syrup goes into your bloodstream. Blood sugar level is kept within very tight limits by the human body because too high, too low can kill. So the body has very strict mechanisms for dealing with any excesses, too high, too low. When it's too high like that, the body is put into a shock state and it gives the pancreas a command to produce uncontrolled amounts of insulin. To get rid of that sugar out of the bloodstream as soon as possible because sugar cannot leave your blood on its own. It has to be escorted by insulin. It is insulin that takes the sugar's hand, says, now, now dear, come with me. Opens the doors on the, cells, on the cells in the muscles, in the brain, and all the other tissues in the body. Opens those little doors on the cells and pushes the sugar in. And then the cell can use that sugar for producing energy, for manufacturing various molecules, various things, and for various other functions. But if the person is dumping huge amounts of glucose into their bloodstream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and in between all the time, the person finishes up with too much insulin in their bloodstream all the time, dealing with that situation. Insulin is a master fat storage hormone. It will store everything as fat, as long as you support too much of this substance in your blood. So these youngsters start putting weight on. And for them, that's all the alarm bells go off. We have another misinformation, mis, uh, uh, <coughs> misguidance in, in our world, that eating fat makes you fat. <coughs> A simplistic idea that our dietetic, dietetic association promotes and, and other mainstream uh, promotes. So what's the next thing this youngster would do if she started putting weight on? She cuts out all fat from her body. <coughs> our immune system cannot live without fat. A week or two weeks, her immune system collapses, she gets infectious mononucleosis, cold, 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 antibiotic, antibiotic, antibiotic. She was a healthy child before she started. All these causes of antibiotics destroyed her gut flora, and she becomes a gapster. She develops gaps. And the next thing is mental illness. And the next thing is suicidal attempts, sectioning in the, in the uh, psychiatric hospitals, psychiatric medication, the whole slippery slope. Her life is finished. She will have no life from that day on. This beautiful young girl. And the parents are desperate to help, but it's too late. They should have helped when she was 13, and she came home and announced that I'm going to become a vegetarian. And they said, oh, what wonderful idea. <laughs> That's what majority of parents do nowadays. So, we have a huge confusion about vegetarianism in the world. Some choose this lifestyle after discovering how industrial agriculture treats animals and birds, which is appalling. Some believe that this is the healthiest lifestyle. They really believe that vegetarianism is healthy and veganism is healthy. Some do it for emotional, religious, or political reasons. Some believe that they are saving the planet. There's a huge amount of propaganda online and in many books saying that by becoming a vegan and vegetarian, you're saving the planet. That this is kind to animals. Nutritional science adds a lot to the confusion by all their propaganda going out that red meat is bad for you, stop eating red meat, stop eating fat, stop eating eggs, you know, and eat all those fruit and vegetables five a day. <laughs> As Zoe explained, or ten a day, or eight a day, or whatever else a day. 
The population generally are given an idea that healthy lifestyle is eating fruit and vegetables. You can't eat meat, you can't eat fat, you can't eat eggs, you can't eat fish. You can't eat dairy. You just have to eat lots of fruit and vegetables, lots of fruit and vegetables. That's the healthy lifestyle. That's the idea in the mainstream. That's what people believe. Doctors see more and more young people damaging their health and destroying their lives through veganism and vegetarianism, misguided vegetarianism. So, should we all become vegetarian or vegan? If we're saving the planet, if this is kind to animals, and if this is a healthy lifestyle, and so on. So let's talk about it in more detail. What I found that there is no clarity, and there is no science on the subject. There are a few scientific studies which were done, obviously, by vegans and vegetarians, <laughs> which are very promotional, and there are, you know, so many holes in these studies that they like to say. They really cannot be trusted, these studies. There is no serious science going on on vegetarianism and veganism. A few studies coming in now to show that vegan, uh, uh, vegan, vegans have more mental illness, that veganism quite often leads to developing cancer. What I see in my clinic, that children on, of vegetarians have blood disorders very often, have delayed puberty, <coughs> delayed sexual development, transsexual development, inappropriate sexual development very often, anemia is very common, and muscle disorders and neurological disorders. Very common in children of vegetarian parents. And autism is rampant. And it doesn't protect for autism at all. I have many vegetarian families whose children are autistic. So how does it all work? So let's look at the most fundamental aspects of how nature has designed this planet and all our life on this planet. All energy on our beautiful planet is recycled. Nothing gets goes to waste, nothing gets subtracted. Everything eats everything. When we die, microbes will eat us, we will turn into soil. From that soil, the plants will grow. You know, there is one particular uh, interesting occasion that was demonstrated very well, that in a cemetery, an apple tree was planted above a couple of people. And then many, many, many years later, something happened there, they were excavated or whatever. The roots of the plant tree were the shape of those bodies. The tree ate the people. If you want your apple tree to grow well, put a dead animal in the <laughs> Because the trees eat meat. If any of you have chickens, you would know that their most favorite food is meat. You give them some mince out of a packet, they will drop everything else. And they'll just eat that. <laughs> their favorite food is meat. So, the plants will eat us, whatever that, that creatures fall on the ground, the plants will eat. And then herbivorous animals eat plants, and then we eat those animals, and the whole circle continues. Everything on this planet eats everything. All energy is recycled in all shapes and forms. The new energy comes to the planet all the time from our beautiful sun. Sunlight. That is a form of energy that comes onto the planet. In order to capture that energy and convert it into solid matter, Mother Nature created plants. They have photosynthesis, they capture the sunlight, and through photosynthesis they convert it into green matter, into green mass. Something we can touch and eat and ferment, something that is, is, uh, becomes food on the planet. In order to con then consume the energy of the sun in the form of plants, 
Mother Nature created herbivorous animals. They eat plant matter. In order for them to digest that plant matter, Mother Nature equipped them with a very special digestive system, which is called rumen. A cow has four stomachs, which is rumen. It is huge, it takes a huge part of her digestive system. And the rumen is full of microbes. That is where the bulk of her gut flora is sitting, in the rumen. She has bacteria in there, viruses, fungi, protozoa, worms, flukes, all sorts of creatures in her stomach. They are the ones that break the grass for the cow. It's not the cow that digests the grass that she eats. It's her rumen and her microbial community in the rumen that breaks it down for her. In fact, the scientific fact is, no creature on this planet can digest plants, apart from microbes. Microbes are the only creatures on the planet that can really digest plants. They have amazing ways of commencing carbohydrates, cleaving off proteins, converting them into various forms, turning carbohydrates into short-chain fatty acids. Apparently, about 70% of all the carbohydrate sugars from the grass in the rumen is converted into short-chain fatty acids, which are saturated fat. So the cow actually lives on a very high-fat diet. Very, very high, and, and all of it is saturated. She absorbs, absorbs it in that form. And the cows chew the cud, don't they? They're chewing all the time. What are they doing? She would swallow a mouthful of grass into her rumen. The microbes there will work on that, digest what they can, extract what they can, and then they will send it back into her mouth. She will regurgitate it. She'll chew it a little bit more, swallow it again. Apparently, a cow chews the same mouthful of grass 200 times. <laughs> Somebody actually calculated that. <laughs> Somebody actually counted. And that's a, 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 a symbiotic relationship, a beautiful symbiotic relationship that is right there in front of us, that nature works on symbiosis, nature works on cooperation. Where microbes are cooperating with this big animal, with a cow, so she can digest uh, the grass that she's eating. And then she... All those nutrients pass into her intestines, <coughs> where they are absorbed, and then whatever remnants there are go into her bowel, and she will excrete it. So the bulk of her gut flora is sitting at the beginning of her digestive system in the room. It's an ingenious digestive system. Where plant fat is converted into protein, fat, maybe saturated fat, and sugars by the rumen microbes. Only microbes are able to digest plants well, and these animals chew the cud. Antelopes, deer, goats, sheep, these are all ruminants, all ruminant animals. In order then to consume the energy of the sun in the form of the herbivorous animals, Mother Nature created another group of creatures on the planet, omnivores and predators. And in order for these creatures to be able to digest the mass of the cow, the herbivorous animals, Mother Nature provided them with a very special digestive system, which is very different digestive system. They have a small stomach. If that stomach is healthy, it has virtually no microbes in it, because it produces hydrochloric acid and pepsin. And hydrochloric acid and pepsin are only able to break down meat, fish, eggs, and milk. And this is our digestive system. Human digestive system is the same as the digestive system in predators, in dogs, cats, lions, 
and so on. Mother Nature made that decision for us. That's the kind of digestive system we were given. Plants, when we chew them and absorb them into our stomach, do not get digested in our stomach to any degree. They sit there and wait. Plants get digested to a degree in the mouth if we chew the food properly. Many people don't. You have to chew a plant quite a bit for the amylase in your saliva to start cleaving off some carbohydrates, breaking down the plant matter a little bit. That's the, the place where some uh, digestion of plants <coughs> happen. Then the food lands in your stomach and the plants are sitting there waiting. While the meat, fish, eggs and dairy are being properly digested. There are three-dimensional protein structure being unraveled, broken down into peptide chains, the, the fats being cleaved off, lots of wonderful things happen. Then this mixture goes down into your intestine where pancreatic juices join in, bile joins in from, from, the, uh, from, the, from the liver, and the digestive process gets completed on meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. And that's what we absorb in our intestines. The bulk of absorption in our digestive system happens in that long few meters of intestine. And what absorbs there is only what got digested in the stomach and in the upper part of the intestine through pancreatic juices and through bile. Your human body is very heavy, big, bulky body. We have heavy muscles, heavy skeleton, heavy brain, very meaty, heavy heart, heart, lungs, liver, everything. And all of these organs are renewing themselves all the time. There is a cell regeneration process going on in the body all the time. Building materials are required to maintain your physical structure, which is made without water, subtract the water from human body, 50-50 fat and protein. So to maintain the building, the, the, building the, the, the physical structure of the human body, we get the building materials from animal foods exclusively. These are the foods which feed our bodies, build our bodies, maintain our physical structure, and uh, <coughs> maintain the cell regeneration and rejuvenation. <coughs> because these are the only foods that were digested properly and absorbed properly. Undigested plants feed the gut flora in the bowel. So what happens with the plants? When they're in the intestines, juices from them get absorbed, vitamin C, maybe vitamin K1, some other vitamins, cofactors, phytonutrients get absorbed, minerals, trace elements. But the bulk of the plant, the fiber and the starch, are indigestible for the human digestive system. We cannot break them down. Nobody can break them down apart from microbes on this planet. Only microbes have an ability to break down starch and break down fiber. So this bulk of the plant, having contributed some microelements for us, goes through the digestive system, goes through the intestine, and lands in your bowel. And that's where our rumen is. That's the equivalent of the rumen in a human body, the bowel. That's where the bulk of our gut flora is sitting, the bacteria, the viruses, the fungi, the protozoa, and so on. So they will work on that fiber, work on that starch, partially break it down, partially digest it. 70% of carbohydrates converted into short-chain fatty acids. Again, the same way. What happens in the bowel is very similar to what happens in the rumen of the cow. Very, very similar. But 
The chaos woman is at the beginning of her digestive system. And all the absorptive surfaces and tubes go after that. So whatever's digested in that rumen is then absorbed. In the human body, the rumen is at the end of the digestive system. When it's too late to absorb anything. Some things are absorbed from the bowel, quite a lot absorbs from the bowel, water, short chain fatty acids, B vitamins, vitamin K2, but not protein and not fat to build your body. Not the building materials for your body. So human bowel is an equivalent of the rumen. Gut flora works on plants and the bowel providing vitamins and short chain fatty acids. Rumen and herbivorous animals is at the beginning of their gut. In humans, it is at the end, too late for the bulk absorption. The bulk absorption already happened higher up. The bulk of nutrition humans thrive on comes from animal foods. Meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. So these are the building, feeding foods for the human body. All traditional cultures around the world knew this through experience. They knew that to survive, they have to have animal foods and they will put extra effort into going and catching fish or catching an animal, killing an animal or milking an animal or looking for eggs. Extra effort. And they would eat plants when there was nothing else to eat and they could not get any animal food as a supplement to animal foods. They provide the right quality protein. When we analyze in the laboratory protein that comes from meat, fish, eggs and dairy, its amino acid structure is very similar to the structure of our own proteins in our bodies. In fact, it is similar to such a degree that antibodies that develop in a human body where the protein doesn't digest properly and absorbs through the damaged gut lining undigested, the antibodies that your immune system develops against those undigested proteins which came from the lamb that you ate, or the beef that you ate, or the pork that you ate, or the eggs, then find very similar proteins in your own body and attack them. That's how the immunity develops. Because what we made from is very similar from what lamb is made, or the cow is made, or the milk is made, or you know, the protein structure, the amino acid composition is the same. It's very, very similar. Very appropriate for our physiology. They provide the right quality fats. The same with fats. When we analyze the chemical composition of the fat in the human body, in our own bodies, we find that it's very similar in chemical composition to the fat of lamb and beef and chickens and cream and butter and so on. So these are the fats that are appropriate for building our human bodies. And remember, half of you, half of your dry weight is fat. Fat is a structural element. Your heart is sitting in a big bag of fat with a casing thick of very hard saturated fat. This is its energy stores because the heart almost exclusively uses fat for energy. It doesn't use sugar for energy in your heart, fat muscle. It's got its own energy store right there and it's sitting in that casing. Your kidneys are sitting in a casing of fat and that's what they use for energy as well and your adrenals. Your intestines, all the, all the organs in your body are propped by layers of fat and that is their own energy store in the body. And its structure is very similar to animal fats in our food. They provide easily assimilated vitamins and minerals in the right biochemical shape and form. There is this misinformation, this lie in the world that your vitamins come from fruit and vegetables. Doctors are in particular misinformed. 
majority of doctors believe that all your vitamins come from plants. That, you know, animal foods have nothing to do with that. You've seen today what Zoe has shown you, the tables. That is what the real information is, that's the truth. The bulk of all your vitamins, of everything your body requires, all your minerals, all your protein, everything comes from animal foods, not from plants. They are the easiest to digest for the human gut because of our structure, because our, we have a gut of a predator, a gut of an omnivore. They build and maintain the physical structure and function of the human body beautifully, and they are essential for cell regeneration and healing. Your immune system in particular loves animal foods. In fact, it requires almost exclusively animal foods. It requires high-quality protein and high-quality fat. And they can only come from meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. And that is the first thing that collapses in these young vegans and vegetarians. Their immune system collapses. They get one infection after another. They get mononucleosis that they never recover from. For years, they are dragging on and dragging on. And they get shingles, and they get one infection after another. So what are the plants for? Why did Mother Nature give us plants, and why do we eat them at all? Do we eat them? Plants have the wrong protein for the human body. Plants have plenty of protein. And when we analyze it in the laboratory, we find that the amino acid composition of plants is very wrong for the human body. There is an excess of certain amino acids and deficiency of other amino acids, which are essential for us. The proportions are just wrong for us. On top of that, plant proteins are indigestible for the human body. Entirely indigestible. In fact, they damage the digestive system. Gluten in wheat, you all know. Secolin in, in rye. Every grain has got a protein in it of its own, and every one of those proteins is very damaging for the human digestive system, immune system, collagen in the body, for the brain, for many, many organs. We now have a lot of science in that area. Plants have the wrong fats for the human body. Too much omega-6. Too much omega-3. We only need a little bit of omega-3 and a little bit of omega-6. If you're eating a handful of nuts a day, if you're eating fresh lettuce from your garden, you will get plenty and you will get them in the right proportions. You don't need to take supplements. You will get all those omegas, omegas in the right proportion. We only need a tiny amount of them. The bulk of fat consumption for a healthy human body has to come from animal foods. Because that's the right fat for us. Plants are indigestible for the human gut in their natural form, natural shape, in the raw state, they are absolutely indigestible. But plant foods are cleansers. They provide wonderful cleansing substances, powerful phenols, powerful detoxifiers, powerful salicylates, vitamins, minerals, glutathione, and, and, and lots of other things, antioxidants. Oxidants, you know, they provide Many things that we haven't even researched now. There's been a lot of effort, a lot of uh, attention to broccoli recently. Our mainstream loves broccoli. <laughs> that broccoli kills cancer and broccoli kills this and that. Because broccoli has sulforaphane and all other cabbage, the whole cabbage family, and radishes have got that substance in them. And it apparently uh, cleanses the body in such a way that it prevents cancers. Plants have got powerful cleansing substances in them. They provide some vitamins and minerals, but they cannot feed the body to any degree. They help us to stay clean <coughs> on the inside. 
it's important for us to be fed properly, and it's important for us to be clean on the inside. That is why we combine plants and animal foods. That is why we eat from dwarf kingdoms. The plants help us to stay clean on the inside, while animal foods build our human bodies and maintain our physical structure. Traditional cultures understood this through experience. Why do you think a cow is a sacred animal in India? You can be prosecuted and in some places even executed for harming a cow, despite the fact that she's standing in the middle of the road and wouldn't move. <laughs> they really wander around all over the place in India, eating all the rubbish on the ground. The cows and the goats, because Indians through experience learned that they, without the cow, they will simply die. They cannot live without the cow because she gives them ghee, butter, cheese, cream, milk, and animal food that maintains the physical structure of their bodies. These people also have chickens and ducks and they eat plenty of eggs, vegetarian cultures in India, and when they can't get meat, they would eat it without hesitation. And the same with fish. This cultural vegetarians in India didn't come for a choice. It came because there was no availability of food and because India was always overpopulated. People are everywhere in India. <laughs> there are so many people there, it's unbelievable. If they start eating their animals, they'll eat them all in one week. <laughs> That's why they have to be vegetarians. Those who live on the coast eat fish. Almost they eat fish for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they eat eggs, and they eat uh, dairy. <clears throat> Traditional cultures found this through experience, so they found try to look for ways to make plants a little bit more digestible, a little bit more feeding, a little bit more sustaining. Because there were long periods of time when they could not get any animal food. So they had to sustain themselves somehow. So fermentation, sprouting, molting, and cooking makes plants more digestible. <coughs> cooking reduces the cleansing ability of the plant, but makes it more digestible. That is why we're cooking our potatoes. If you eat potato raw, will not benefit you at all. It will provide some cleansing substances for you. But if you cook it, some starch gets converted into more digestible. We can digest it. We can benefit from it. We can absorb some of it. <coughs> Plants are largely made from carbohydrates. And they're made more digestible and absorbable for cooking. Industrially processed plants in our big uh, factories are so much processed that they don't, don't require any digestion. They are pre-digested for us using chemical processes, pressure, temperature, solvents, and all sorts of things in the factories. So these things digest very rapidly, very quickly, absorb very rapidly, and cause metabolic syndrome, cause too much insulin in your bloodstream. They are the cause of obesity epidemic, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, autoimmunity, learning disabilities, mental illness, the rest of it. Your breakfast cereal, your sandwich, your pasta, your bread, your sugar, sugar, sugar. That's what causes all the maladies and all the suffering in the modern world. <coughs> Raw plants in their natural form are powerful cleansers, but they don't feed us. Cooking reduces plants' cleansing ability. Animal foods versus plant foods. So to summarize, animal foods are the feeding, building foods for the human body. Plants are cleansers. Humans can live entirely on animal foods. That has been demonstrated by Westerner Price 
Brandon has given a presentation um, yesterday in the morning about uh, the research of Western Prize. And that's what he found in a number of uh, cultures that <coughs> people lived almost entirely on animal foods. Maasai warriors in Africa, Eskimos, um, and uh, Alaskan people. The further north you go, <coughs> the less plants were consumed, the more animal foods were consumed, and the higher the fat content was of the diet. And these were some of the healthiest people that were in existence on our planet. And I have discovered that through my experience in my clinic. I had a group of babies and children with ulcerative colitis, with Crohn's disease, another severe digestive disorders. No matter what we did with these children, they were not recovering. They could not digest any amount of plant food. Because plant foods are indigestible and they have many anti-nutrients in them, which damage the gut, damage the gut wall, and the fiber in them can be irritating and damaging for a very sensitive digestive system. So what I've tried with some of these children, I've removed all plants from their diet. Entirely. Not a leaf, not a speck, anything from the plant kingdom they could consume, nothing. These children live on meat stock, on boiled meats, on fish, on eggs, on fermented dairy. Sour cream, beer, cheese. I have children who have been on this diet now for four or five years. Healthy, beautiful darlings. Ulcerative colitis is gone. Medication is gone. Inflammatory markers are gone. Doctors can't believe what's happening. Majority of these families are afraid to tell their doctors what they're doing. They don't tell their doctors that the child's on a special diet, so doctors are scratching their head and wondering why this child is recovering, or why the child is off medication. Autism is going in these children. They're doing beautifully, these children. But as soon as we try to add a tiny bit of a vegetable, maybe a little square of courgette, cooked in a big pot of soup and then blended, diarrhea comes back. Behaviors come back. Eye contact disappears. Tummy pain comes back. We have to stop. We try to ferment the vegetables very, very well, to pre-digest them with fermenting cultures, and then cook it in a soup very well. Some children manage to, uh, to digest that, some children can't. They have to stay longer. But the beauty of it is that the child is growing, the child has rosy cheeks, they're playing sports, they're recovering from their mental illnesses, they're recovering from their physical illnesses. And they are not eating any plants at all. I have adults with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia who cannot eat any, any plants. They've been on this diet for years. Every time they try anything from the plant kingdom, they get ill again. And they stop. F5 babies, full protein induced enterocolitis syndrome. It's another epidemic coming in. This is a terrible, terrible condition in babies. Babies die from this condition. They live on this plant, on this diet, on a no plant diet. So from my clinical perspective, I know human beings can live perfectly healthily without plants at all. We don't need plants to live and to be healthy and to be well. And not only we don't need them, we can actually be much healthier without plants, from my point of view. So humans cannot live, but humans cannot live entirely on plants. So we can live entirely on animal foods, but we cannot live entirely on plants. Because plants do not feed the human body, they cleanse us. Veganism. These are people who eat no animal foods, only plants. 
It is not a diet. It is a form of fasting. This is a news that I'm breaking upon the world. I'm the first person to make this connection. And it wasn't me who made this connection. We went to India a few years ago, to Kerala, and I was walking along the beach, and you know, the beaches in India are so big, people are everywhere. You're stumbling over people everywhere. <laughs> and there was a group of these pilgrims, these Hindu pilgrims sitting on the beach. They looked very tired, very pale, these people. They wear special clothes, black clothes with a golden rim. Uh, they're, they're Hindu pilgrims, they have to travel to their sacred sites across the country. And part of their pilgrimage is a 42-day fast. That's what we were told by the guide, that they have to fast, these people. So I thought, oh, how interesting. They all speak English in India, which is great. So I stopped next to this group of people, said hello to them, and I said, I heard that you have to fast as a part of your pilgrimage. They said, oh, yes, it's so hard, so difficult, very difficult. Said, you know how they bob their heads. <laughs> they said, very, very difficult. I said, well, I said, well, what kind of fast is it? What are you, are you allowed to eat anything? Or are you just drinking water? Or, uh, oh, it's so hard, so very difficult. I said, well, what is it? What are you eating? Oh, we're only eating. Listen to this. Vegetables, fruit, rice, bread, nuts, beans, lentils, and vegetable oil. And I thought, oh, that's our Western vegan diet. <laughs> These people traditionally, for centuries, for millennia, call it a fast. <laughs> they say it's very, very, very difficult, and they would not do it longer than 42 days. That's what in their tradition. Westerners have no idea. They say, all oh, people in India are all vegans, have been vegans for centuries. That's the propaganda of the veganism in this way. So this is a fast. Veganism is a fast. It's a form of fasting. While your, body's, your digestive system is full of indigestible plants, so you don't feel hungry, your digestive system is very busy processing this, this plant matter. You are provided with huge amount of cleansing substances. Your body is being cleansed powerfully. And cleansing is always associated, has been associated with spiritual enlightenment. I don't know why, I don't know how, but that, that's the idea. So that's, that's the idea of this fast. So basically our vegans, in the West are not feeding themselves, they are fasting. Many of them write books in the first few weeks of their fast, saying how wonderfully they feel, that their brain fog has lifted, that their liver's cleansed, their skin cleared, they feel so well and they feel so bright and they feel so good and so strong and full of energy. Of course, removing toxins from the body always feels good. Less toxic body always feels better than a toxic body while the body is cleansing, and, and, and that is the experience of people on a water fast, when people just drink water and they're just fasting, they're not eating anything, they feel the same way. They feel a very sharp mind, very clear mind, very mindful, energy, and everything else. Depending on what kind of fast you're doing, it doesn't matter. You are cleansing, so cleaner body always feels better than a toxic body. But then at a certain point, the body will finish cleansing, and it will give you a signal, I'm hungry. It will give you a desire for a steak, or for a cup of cream, or for a wedge of you know, creamy cheese, or something like that. Problem is, our vegans in the Western world are doing this for emotional reasons, ethical reasons. They override that signal. They do not listen to their body. So the body then goes into a starvation mode. It starts cannibalizing its own tissues. They start losing muscle mass. 
because the muscle then is considered by the body the less important tissue, so the body breaks it down to feed the brain, to feed the liver, to feed the heart, to feed the lungs. And so it continues. And eventually these people develop immune problems, they develop multiple sclerosis, they develop neurological symptoms, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis are very common amongst these people. Cancers are very common amongst uh, long-term vegans. And blood abnormalities are very, very uh, different things. I'll, I'll tell you a very funny story. We have a farm and we have volunteers on the farm from an organization called Wolf. And I had a, an English woofer in September of last year who looked like he's been dug up, poor boy. <laughs> and he said, I was a vegan, he said, for four, for four months. And I've just come here, you know, after this veganism. And he said, after one month of veganism, he was walking along the street and uh, passed past a shop and a smell of roasted chicken wafted out of the shop. And he said, before I knew it, I walked into the shop, I bought a whole chicken, I came out, I sat on the pavement, and I consumed the whole chicken. <laughs> and he said it was done in some sort of trance. I was completely not in control of the situation. He said I kind of came back to my senses after I consumed that chicken and licked my fingers and was ashamed of myself <laughs> that I've done it. This is what the body will do when it's truly hungry. It will switch off your conscious mind and tell you now you do this. <laughs> to feed yourself. So vegans need to listen to that signal when the body finished cleansing and it wants to, uh, wants to feed. In my vegetarian book, I have a whole chapter on fasting. I'm not going to cover it in this presentation. I talk about water fasting. I talk about other varieties of fasting, the vegan fast. Vegan fast is the easiest to follow. And how to come out of every fast appropriately. I fasted myself twice on water. Two weeks. Difficult, but I've done it because I needed to learn how it feels <laughs> before I tell my patients to do that. For a person who is overweight and toxic, going on a fast is a good idea. Very good idea, particularly vegan fast. There are, for people who have a damaged digestive system, they might go on a juice fast when they drink 12 juices a day, freshly pressed juices. That produces a, a great cleansing. And Every person needs to listen to their body. For one person, a week is enough. Another person needs 40 days, like those pilgrims in India. So the body will give you a signal at a certain point. It will give you a real, true hunger for an animal food. And that's the moment that you need to listen to. That means the body's finished cleansing. It wants to be fed now. That's when you start the gaps introduction diet. And everything will go away. well. People who are underweight, People who are pregnant, pregnant women, breastfeeding women, small children must never fast. It must not be done. I'm sure online on Google you can see several cases where mothers were imprisoned because they tried to be vegan during pregnancy and they tried to bring up their babies as vegan and babies were malnourished and were getting very ill. So these mothers were put into prison for that. A recent case was in, in Italy, uh, there was another case in Britain. This is how fanatical these people are. They are prepared to sacrifice their child. They are prepared to sacrifice themselves. Vegetarianism, which includes animal foods, can be followed as a permanent lifestyle, and many people do that around the world. If you eat proper, full-fat dairy and lots of eggs, you can be healthy. As long as your food is natural, made from scratch, 
and you are not relying on pasta bread, pasta bread, and pasta bread. You, you're actually not eating these things at all. You're following, you, you're focusing on vegetables, you're cooking proper foods, you're fermenting, that's very, very important. Traditional vegetarian cultures always have fermented foods, that's a very important part of their diet. It is possible to be a healthy vegetarian as long as plenty of high-fat animal foods are consumed and all food is natural. And there is an individual need for plant and animal foods in everybody. I have a chapter in my vegetarian book which is called One Man's Meat is Another Man's Poison. We all have different constitutions, different heredity, different metabolism. So every one of you on a daily basis has to figure out how much plant matter I want to eat for breakfast versus how much protein. How much Maybe you woke up on that particular day, you had a heavy night last night. You had a party. Your body doesn't want to be fed on that morning, it wants to be cleansed. So you will not have a desire for eggs and bacon. You'll have a desire for apples, maybe a juice, maybe some vegetable, something cleansing. But if you were busy, you have an exam today or something else, you need to be switched on, you need to have energy, you need to have stamina, eggs and bacon, exactly what you need for breakfast. And your body will tell you. We just need to learn to get in touch with our inner body's intelligence, which is always there, and it always knows what you need. I haven't got time to focus on this a lot today, so I'm not going to talk about it. Please read the book. <laughs> now, where does our food come from? That's what I would like to address. The statements of the vegetarians that they're saving the planet and that they're kind to animals and that, you know, animal agriculture is destroying the planet and we must get rid of all the animals on the farms and just plow the whole lot and grow soil. And on all that land, on all that pasture. That animals are just actually destroying the soil, <coughs> destroying the planet. And this propaganda that animals dump out methane and cause global warming it's such a nonsensical thing that any person with uh, any common sense would just discard that, let alone. There is no scientific evidence for that whatsoever. This idea was proposed by some little bureaucrat in the European community who was preparing a report for the European community on animal agriculture. And it was so full of holes and so silly that he, he mentioned it, but he didn't press on that much. But who caught up on that idea? Newspapers. And who then propagated it? Monsanto, <coughs> Bayer, and Syngenta. The major chemical companies around the world who rule our governments. They picked up on that idea and they made it a common knowledge. <coughs> That's another lie that we can add to the pile of lies that Zoe was talking about that become common knowledge and everybody knows this. Commercial agriculture finds it difficult to produce meat, milk, and eggs and easy to grow plants. This is a fact. There is a myth in the world that we cannot possibly produce enough meat, milk, and eggs to feed all the population of the planet. This myth comes from the arable, from industrial agriculture, because producing meat, milk, and, 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 uh, uh, and eggs on an industrial scale is very difficult. The only model that works commercially for them are the confined operations, the CAFOs, those cruel operations that the films are about that we all see. Those buttery chickens and those poor cows that never see the sunlight, they're locked up in the barn, and they're, they're fed leftovers from the food industry together with the packaging, with the plastic and the paper on the packaging, these poor cows eating all day long. It is a very, very cruel system, but that's the only model that produces profit. 
and then the government on top of them with all their regulations, and then there are these kind of animals are ill all the time, so they have to spend a lot of money on antibiotics, on steroids, on other drugs. So producing industrially, commercially, producing meat, milk and eggs is expensive and difficult and troublesome. While growing plants is a piece of cake, we have great big powerful machines that just grow along these fields, and we have chemicals. And the whole structure is worked out to a, an hour, to a couple of hours, by Monsanto, by Bayer, by you know, other uh, uh, chemical monopolies in this world who are multi-trillion corporations. I was giving a lecture to organic farmers in, um, in America last year. And in my presentation, I said that Monsanto uh, influences your government. And a few people in the audience shouted, they are our government. <laughs> That is the truth. American government, British government, Irish government, a fair proportion of people who are in the government were planted there by these uh, conglomerates. They rule our governments and they rule their policies on food and agriculture. So these companies, they worked out to a scientific detail, to the minute detail, at what time you plow, at what time you apply this chemical, then you apply this chemical, then you apply fertilizer, then you seed this seed which will dressed with that chemical, and this will grow, and then you apply this chemical, you apply that chemical, and you will get the results. And it works. <coughs> it works. They destroy the soil, majority of soils, arable soils in, in, uh, in the Western world are deserts. If you didn't apply chemicals, nothing will grow on that soil at all. It's just dust that physically holds the roots in place, but all the nutrition for the plant comes from chemicals. That's how they grow these crops for us. So growing plants on an industrial scale profitably is very doable and much easier for our industrial agriculture. And they prefer to do that. In the natural organic farming, it is just the opposite. Growing plants is a headache organically, biodynamically because they're damaged by pests, by birds, by disease, by all sorts of things. Because Mother Nature doesn't like monocultures. Have you ever seen a monoculture in a natural environment, in a natural meadow? You have hundreds of grasses and herbs and flowers growing in a company together. That's what Jim was showing us yesterday. He's trying to copy that in his vegetable garden, where everything is in the jungle. You can't find anything, you know? You've got one carrot here and another carrot over there. <laughs> uh, you know? Where we humans want to plant a huge field of wheat and then a huge field of lettuce and then a huge field of something else, that's a monoculture. Nature abhors monocultures. As a result, these monocultures are prone to disease, to pests, to damage. That is why so many chemicals have to be applied. When you try to grow it organically, you get disease and you get pests and you get birds and the rest of it. So your yield is unpredictable. It is difficult to grow plants organically and naturally. You really have to be that intuitive, you know, wonderful person like Jim, who smells the earth and knows what to plant in that earth. <laughs> I hope I, you know, I develop that skill. I would like to develop that skill. But you're not going to ask an organic farmer who has to produce so many tons of grain in a few months to do that. They have to plant monocultures. With animals, it is a piece of cake. You provide them with natural environment, they'll take care of themselves. And the grass grows for free in your blessed country, in our blessed country, because it rains a lot. England and Ireland are perfect places for pasture, because grass just grows for free. And grass and herbivorous animals 
are one ecosystem. Nature has worked on that system for billions of years. It is ticking on beautifully. Every little detail has been worked out beautifully. All you have to do is allow the grasses to recover, so you have to move the cattle, you have to move the animals. The traditional uh, animal agriculture where human beings build a big fence, put the cattle in there and forgot about them. That destroys the pasture and destroys the soil. And based on that, all these vegans and vegetarians are waving their flags that animals are destroying the soil. Because in nature, there are predators. Big herd of herds of zebra and antelope and deer and so on are always followed by predators. And predators are the shepherds of nature. They are very, very important. They have a very important role to play in the ecosystem of the grassland. They keep the animals in a, in a, in a tight formation so animals don't spread around. Because of the cows or other animals have no predators around, they have their favorite plants in the pasture. They have their chocolate. And they will eat that plant and eat that plant until they kill it. Then they start on their second most favorite plant in the pasture until they kill it. Then the third most favorite plant. And in a few years time, all you have left on that pasture is a brush that nobody wants to eat. That's how pastures get destroyed. When a fence is made and an animals are shoved in there and left in there forever. What happens in nature? That never happens in nature. In nature, predators keep them in tight formation, so they eat everything. They're not picky. If you give your child the choice between cake and a proper meal, what are they going to eat all day? Cake. Herbivorous animals do the same. So the, the shepherds, the lions, the hyenas, the wolves in Canada and, and in the north, and other, other predators, they tell these herds, you eat everything underneath your feet. You cut it off. And then as soon as they witness, it, they get moved. The predators move them. These big herds of buffalo and other herbivorous animals, they move across the savannah. No animal likes to eat its own feces. When they are in a tight formation and they eat all the grass down, they defecate, they urinate, they fertilize the land fertilize the ground, they put a huge injection of microbes, their, their ruminant flora goes in there. All those wonderful microbes go in, in a mixture with nutrients, rich nutrients. And they will not come back to that patch of grass until all the smell of their disease is gone. And that takes on average four months. And that's exactly the time that it takes for the grass to regrow to its full strength. So the grass has a chance to recover fully before the herds come back there and eat it again. And the interesting thing is that every plant above the ground is the same size as it is underneath the ground. Its root system is exactly the same size underneath. And what are the roots made from? What is the plant made from? Carbon. Your tree in the garden is almost pure carbon. And it's the same underneath the ground. Its root system is just as big. And it's all carbon in there. So what happens when an animal bites it off? And herbivorous animals are clever. They would not bite the growing point of the plant because grasses have a growing point, their the nest, their the baby nest, just above the ground. So the cow would bite above it. The sheep will bite, bite above it. They will not damage the grass. They will just eat what they can eat. And the grass will grow again. But when they bite it off, the plant from this size is reduced to that size. So all the root system underneath that was this size dies out to that size, and all that carbon in the root system turns into humus. 
What is humus? It's pure carbon. Vast majority of carbon on our planet is locked in the soil. What is our arable agriculture doing? Plowing chemicals, chemicals, chemicals. They destroy humus, it turns into carbon dioxide and it's released into the atmosphere. Our arable agriculture is the number one cause of global warming, of greenhouse emissions. They're destroying the reservoir of carbon on the planet and releasing all that carbon into the atmosphere. While the pasture does just the opposite. Humus is like gelatin. Every molecule of humus attracts to itself hundreds of molecules of water. So the water is held in that soil. It doesn't run off the fields and floods the villages and towns downstream. It, 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 the, the, the pasture becomes spongy thanks to humus that is holding all that water. And as the grass grows again, it grows because of the sun. It captures the energy of the sun, converts it into its leaves and stalks, and then the animal comes back, bites it again. All that root system that grew because the energy of the sun was converted into sugars, <coughs> sugars were passed into the roots, and the roots grew on those sugars. Again, that root system converts into humus. So every time a herd of animal comes back to that patch of soil, the soil becomes thicker and thicker and thicker. Topsoil is being built on the planet. This is the beautiful grassland ecosystem that the nature, that the nature has created, and it includes plants, herbivorous animals, and predators. We humans got rid of predators, so we have to replace them. We have to use electric fences, and we have to keep moving our cattle. As soon as they've eaten one patch of grass, we must move them to allow the grass to regrow, to capture more sun to create another root system, and only in four months we come back to that plot. It's the traditional agriculture that would lock animals in one place, was destroyed, they're destroying the pastures, and destroying the humus, and destroying the land. And, and that's what has been picked up by Monsanto's of this world, and promoted to the whole world that animals destroy the planet. Did you know that our arable agriculture for the last few years has been producing enough grain to feed 11 billion people? 11. There's only 7 billion on our planet. We are over producing grain. Have been for the last several for decades. This fact is carefully hidden. Government officials don't know this fact. It's a scientific fact. Instead, the, the propaganda that is given to population, we're not producing enough. We must plow all our green belts. We must plow all our pastures. We must take the animals off the pasture, lock them up in kafos, and <coughs> plow it all and grow more grain. Because look at these poor starving children in Africa. This is due to inappropriate distribution of food, due to politics, these children in Africa are starving. Not because we're not producing enough food for this planet. 50% of food in America is thrown away every day. 50%. We are not that far behind in Europe. We are being indulged in all the over-consuming and wasting while people in Africa and other places are starving. This is a matter of distribution, not a matter of production. And of course, this overproduced grain then is fed to poor animals who were taken off their natural habitat, off pasture, locked up in big buildings where they're standing on a, on a, in their own feces, they sleep and stay in their own feces, all their poor, miserable life on antibiotics, and then fed to these animals. Grain is not appropriate food for animals. It makes them sick. Cows cannot live on grain. 
Chickens cannot live on grain exclusively. They need meat, they need worms, insects, they need grass. Chickens need a lot of grass, a lot of herbs. Nobody can live on grain exclusively. So all these animals are sick. We're getting sick milk from them, sick meat from them, sick food from them. And then their pastures plowed and we're overproducing grain. Why is all this happening? Because no matter how much profit Monsanto made this year, they must make more profit next year. How are they going to do that? By plowing more, by growing more grain, and selling more machinery and more chemicals to the farmers. How can they convince the world to do that when we're already overproducing grain? By putting out propaganda. It would be wonderful for Monsanto. That would be their absolute Christmas and birthday if large percent of the population turned vegetarian. Because these people eat plants. There will be higher demand for plants. More profit for them. Propaganda for vegetarianism and veganism is coming from them. And it is so cleverly structured through governments, through agencies, that nobody will trace it through these companies. But that's where it's coming from. Arable agriculture destroys topsoil, releasing carbon into the atmosphere. It is the main cause of global warming on the planet. Scientists who research this have already calculated that if we converted even a, a quarter of our arable fields in the Western world, we're not talking about the rest of the world, the Western world, if we converted even a quarter to pasture and put animals on it, we will sequester carbon out of the atmosphere and reverse global warming in a matter of 10 years. There is a solution to our global warming problem, and it is not light bulbs. <laughs> Another nonsense that the governments come up with. We have a solution, but do you think Monsanto's of this world will allow that to happen? Absolutely not. And they're in charge of our governments, unfortunately. Destroyed soil cannot hold water leading to floods. Why do you think floods are getting worse and worse in Britain and other countries in Europe? Every <coughs> rainy season we see TV, footage of cities, towns being flooded. Because above that town, all the land was plowed. The pastures were all plowed. The soil got destroyed, the humus is gone. If there is no humus, that soil cannot hold water. It's the humus that swells, it's the sponge. It is a jelly, it turns into a jelly humus with the water. Once the humus got destroyed by chemicals on that field, the rains just get washed off, flushed off from these fields and flood the villages and towns downstream. Rivers swell, and that is the reason. So it's arable agriculture that we have to blame for our floods and the flood damage. It's not the flood protection and all the dams that have to be built and people can pay for. It's arable agriculture that has to be attacked. They are responsible for this. Agricultural chemicals poison groundwaters and wildlife. There's a lot of research to show that wildlife in areas where agricultural, uh, arable agriculture is happening, are all sick and they're dying out and their habitat disappeared and their sex is changing and they cannot produce offspring, they're mutating. So there is nothing kind to animals in a vegetarian lifestyle because you have to rely on arable agriculture to be a vegetarian. Amongst all human activity, industrial arable agriculture causes the biggest damage to our planet. There is no doubt about it in my mind and in the mind of those who are researching this subject. So is vegetarianism and environmentally friendly that they claim it? It is not possible to feed even one vegetarian for a year entirely from a private organic garden. I'll tell you that as a gardener. 
Maybe Jim can feed himself entirely on his produce from his vegetable garden. I can't. And that's what vast majority of people will tell you. It is not possible to feed even one person for a full year entirely from your garden. Because things happen. Things don't grow. No matter what I did last year, my cows just didn't grow. <laughs> I tried everything, they just didn't grow. Only industrial arable agriculture can grow enough plants to sustain vegetarianism and veganism on a large scale. The vast majority of these vegetarians and vegans live in cities and buy their food in supermarkets. They do not grow anything, these people. Chemical industry controls industrial agriculture, and it is in their interest to encourage people to become vegetarian. The more vegetarians we have, the more plants we need, the bigger demand for plant matter, the more we will plow, the more chemicals will be needed, the more machinery will be needed, the more arable agriculture will be needed. This same industry infiltrates governments and guides their policies on food and agriculture. There is nothing kind to animals or the planet in a plant-based lifestyle because it is based on arable agriculture. A wonderful man, Alan Savory, who has been working in this area all of his life, he's in his 80s, this man now. He stands up in these big congresses in European community in America and says, if you're a vegetarian, please stop. If you're a vegetarian for ethical reasons, you have to be ethical to the 80% of the population of the planet who live in areas of the world where plants don't grow. These people entirely rely on their animals to survive. You have to be ethical to those people as well, not just to yourself. So, feed yourself and your family well. Natural, organic and biodynamic farming treats land and animals with love and produces proper quality food. So if a child, a young girl, let's say impressionable 15-year-old, watch the film, about industrial agriculture, how animals are treated and decided that's it, I'm not eating meat. Is that the right way to fight that system? Just the opposite. You are playing in their hands. If you're eating more plants, you play in their hands. Instead of buying meat in the supermarket, you find the organic farmer in your local area who has a diversified organic or biodynamic farm. These people treat their animals and birds with love. They give them proper environment proper place to live, they live according to nature, and they produce beautiful food as a result of these people. And these people are struggling. The only farmers who survive are the ones who have a strong customer base. Customers who come directly to the farm and buy their food. Because it's very difficult for them to survive because the government does not subsidize them. In fact, the government is uh, very hostile to these kind of farmers while it's subsidizing those big boys in the Arab agriculture. You know, do you think that the arable agriculture will be growing wheat, sugar beet, and rapeseed in rotation year after year after year if they were not subsidized? Western government subsidized these crops. They have to be diversified, have grazing animals, birds, and growing plants all in rotation. Because once you plow the field, grow something on it for a few years, you are destroying the soil. No matter what you're doing, no matter how much compost you're applying, manure you're applying, whatever, you are destroying the structure of the soil, you're destroying the humus. So it's a good idea after a few years to turn it to pasture, put animals on it for about five years, animals will restore that soil back to health. Then you can plant, plant, plant again and grow, and grow plants on it. 
And if that's done in rotation on a large farm, you are not damaging anything. Just the opposite. Using animals and birds, natural farming builds topsoil, removing carbon from the atmosphere, building humus. Humus is carbon. Plant trees, people. Every tree captures carbon out of the atmosphere and reverses uh, the uh, global warming because tree is carbon, almost pure carbon, structure the tree. Above the ground and under the ground, and it's the same size under the ground. The same with grasslands. Grasslands, every plant does that. It captures carbon from the atmosphere and converts it into humus. Humus holds large amounts of water, reducing flooding. These farmers get no support from governments, only fertility. Support organic and biodynamic farming by buying their produce exclusively directly from the farms. Somebody very clever said that we don't inherit earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. The more you support organic farmers, the more future you give to your children. Because you will be saving the planet. By every pint of milk you buy directly from a farmer, every tray of eggs, you are saving the planet from destruction. Make your informed decision. Western Christ specifically looked for healthy vegetarian cultures around the world because vegetarianism was popular in those days. He did not find one in all his travels. And that's what he concluded. I have found in many parts of the world most devout representatives of modern ethical systems advocating restriction of food to the vegetable products. In every instance, where the groups involved have been long under this teaching, I found evidence of degeneration. Vegetarians degenerate. I have so many people saying, well, my vegan friend never gets colds. He's so healthy. It's not the virus when they get the cold. It's not the virus that causes the temperature, the coughing, the sneezing, the malaise. The headache, <coughs> it's your own immune system causing all those symptoms because it's fighting the virus. In vegans, their immune system is on the floor. It's unable to mount any response to any viruses. So they don't get fever, they don't get coughing and sneezing, they don't get headache and malaise, while the viruses just get in and settle in. It's not that they're healthy, they're not getting colds, these people. That's what's happening in these people. I see that in autistic children. They, they, their immune system is on the floor, it's unable to mount a response to any virus. And the first thing that happens when the child starts recovering on the GAPS nutritional protocol, the child develops fever. And the parents call me immediately, I say, celebrate. <laughs> this is wonderful news. His immune system got off the floor and started functioning. And it's now attacking all those microbes that were getting in there for years and were not opposed. That's what happens to these people. Growing numbers of young people are falling prey to pro-vegetarian propaganda in the Western world today. This propaganda is based on ignorance. Protect those you care about by informing them. Inform them. Give them my book as a present. This is my website, and thank you very much for listening. Talk about food for thought. Um, I'm going to take an advocacy position for a minute on behalf of vegans, so I'm going to challenge you. I've met one of the most healthy vegans, I've met one here today. Um, how can vegans be healthy? If this is true, or, or if you want to be a vegan, what is the best way to do it? Veganism is a fast. It should not be followed as a lifestyle. 
it cannot be a permanent lifestyle. There is a wonderful book written by Larry Keith. This lady was a vegan for 20 odd years. Almost died. Read that book, please, vegans. Can you, you might feel well, even for a few years. You might convince yourself that you're feeling well for a few years because your body goes into a mode of saving itself, preserving itself. It starts recycling building materials inside your body. It tries not to lose any protein, not to lose any building materials, building, uh, uh, it just keeps recycling them. And different people due to their constitution, to their heredity, are more able to do that, other people are less able to do that. Some genetic traits, people uh, cannot do that for a long period of time. Some people can survive uh, for a very long time. And the word survive is the, the operative word. I would like to introduce you to a phenomenon called inedia. <coughs> Has anybody heard about inedia? No. It is a phenomenon when the person eats nothing at all. There are records in medical literature and in religious literature where people survived on inedia for 15, 20 years eating nothing at all. Clearly it shows that humans have resources and are able to survive on anything. Van Gogh, for quite a large part of his later life, was so poor he could not buy any food, he ate his paint. And the lead in the paint caused his mental illness. But he was surviving. Vegans force their bodies to survive on cleansing foods alone. But I hope that our lives are not about survival. I hope our lives are about full, beautiful human life, of having healthy body, of finding love, creating a beautiful family, producing healthy children, having enough resources, bringing those children up, participating in a normal human activity. If your idea of a happy life to go somewhere in a cave and read the Bible and survive, mm -hmm. then maybe living as a vegan on a mega Russian is the best thing for you to do. But if you want to live in this world and participate in human activity, you have to respect the way this world is structured and the way your body lives in this world. Thank you. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.